0: Rules for entering the business can teach a family to respect the organization while eliminating entitlement or reducing entitlement. Welcome back to the Legacy Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Holt. And today we have with us Al Bennett again, a business planning consultant with Ascent. And our job here at the Legacy Builder Podcast is to talk about all things business related on how to improve an organization, a transition plan, and dynamics within. Uh, a family. So today Al we're going to be talking about rules for entering
1: a business and uh, a pretty hot topic in in what we do. Sure Jared, Um, before we get into the details around the rules I want to maybe preface this with what we're going to visit about is our preference or our bias perhaps in what we've seen over the years that we know works and while certainly there might be exceptions in some families where this isn't a necessary step I would share that they are few and far between, that this is really something that families need to seriously attack and invest the time and energy to do and do it professionally.
0: Perfect. Now what how would you do, what what is rules for entering the business in your
1: sure. opinion? What we're looking at really is is the ability to communicate a message to the next generation that even has interest in joining the family business. And timing wise, I'd like to see this not only detailed out but negotiated out between the owners group and then published and shared with potential successors about the time they're 16 or 17 years old so that if i'm that junior or senior in high school i'm starting to think about am i going to college or can i just go back to the family farm as soon as i get out of high school Um, if that's not real or if that's not really what the owners group has in mind I need to know that before I get to graduation day and again, assume that there's a job waiting for me and maybe one that I have no idea what the compensation is or what my role is or any of that. So um, we want to walk into, if professionally done, what would be the components of a formal plan for entering the business for successors. You bet. And why is this so important? Why is this topic uh, hot in family businesses? Yeah, what we're seeing, Jared, is that as you well know, that you know margins continue to tighten. Um, competition in the businesses we work with is not going anything but vertical. Um, it's tough to to keep keep businesses going, even if they're well run. Let alone if you're trying to bring in the next generation. And it's critically important that you have a process to do that, and that again the successor group is well prepared and set up for success. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It seems like if if there's not a clear rules for entering the business. It can really create a distortion amongst the family members about what is my role in the business in the future Uh, just because I have the right last name does it mean I have a job here here? Uh, do I got to try do I have to achieve anything Mm -hmm. or am I just guaranteed a a six-figure salary for the rest of
1: my life right and and oddly when we originally meet with successors we oftentimes explain to them that not only are you not guaranteed a job because of your last name that more likely, the hill's going to be steeper for you if you come back as a family member. For a couple reasons, one is you're the boss's kid, so the rest of the team's making an assumption that you're going to be coddled or, you know, a blind eye turned to your gaps or whatnot. The other thing is there might be long-term team members who have their eye on a job to maybe move up the org chart or have a more important role in the business, and they see a successor coming back that puts that role at, you know, at risk for them. Yep. So they're not excited about you coming back at all. So you've got to figure out as a successor, how do you get positioned? How do you get set up for success? So if and when you do return to the business, people are glad to have you there.
0: Yeah, Yep. absolutely. So Al, if I'm a business owner, I have kids that are in elementary, junior high, high school, and looking at trying to create a vision for my business going forward. And, and rules for entering is something I'm going to start working on. Mm-hmm. Um, Where do I start? That's a big hill to tackle. Yeah,
1: good question. It really starts again with the foundational question of you know what do we need to do to set these these successors up for success? And the first area we like to visit about is education. And while you might say you know Grandpa didn't have an eighth grade education, he made the business work. Um, He he did it by working really really hard, being the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave at night. While that might have been true generations ago, it takes more than that today to be successful and to remain competitive. And so in the realm of education, we need to have the owner's group have a professional discussion around, would someone returning to this business be able to be successful perhaps with a high school degree? Or do they need a two-year degree from a trade school or maybe a four-year degree or a master's degree? I've even had successors come back with a PhD to the family business and obviously bring more value as they have more education. And again, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer to the question. The purpose of the exercise is to get some criteria set that the owner's group aligns on and the successor group understands mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely.
0: So education, that's a good place to start. Um, how about work experience? Is it, is it a, you know Is it okay if the
1: the child never works anywhere else, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, Is it okay? Sure. Yeah, it's fine. Um, But it's pretty high risk. Because if a son or daughter returns to a family business and the only boss they have ever had is dad, then obviously dad's the worst boss they've ever had. And if they've never had the chance to work as part of a team or to manage other people, and they show up back in the family business with zero experience, work experience, um, again, the risks are pretty high. So our recommendation, our preference is that after you've, you meet the bar for education, again, whatever that is, two years, four years, master's degree, that you go work somewhere else. And when I say somewhere else, I'm not describing that you move back home and you go back into your room and mom does your laundry and you go get a job uptown at the local co-op or whatever, but rather that you pack your suitcase, you get in your car, and you drive preferably hours away, could be even states away, that you get out in the world... You find your own place to live, you do your own laundry, you make your own meals, and you engage in a work experience that is challenging, hopefully. And that that work experience is at, at a minimum at least two years. Um, I've had some of the larger businesses that I work with stretch out to four or five. I've had one that was seven years of work away from the family business before they were allowed to come back and apply to the family business. So again, work experience, you want to be real clear on what that looks like, how long it should take, and that when your successor returns, wherever they were, those folks are sad to see them leave. And why is that why is that so
0: important now? I mean obviously if, if the successor works somewhere else, they might they might not realize that uh, their dad actually is a good boss. But what about if I'm a business owner? I'm thinking, hey, if I can get my daughter back to the business sooner, uh, we could be building things faster. And mm-hmm. so, but, but what we're, we're saying is that might be short
1: thinking things, why is that? Well, it's, first of all, again, it's very, very high risk to rush the process. Um, I actually, this is years ago, had a business where the dad said to me, I really need the help. You know, he's short on labor. And so he grabbed his son, immediately ran out of high school Uh, to come into a a pretty sizable business with very little education, zero work experience anywhere else, but then had this expectation that his son was going to lead and manage other people. Mm -hmm. Well, you can probably imagine how that worked out for that family. It was a train wreck. Um, He was not respected by other team members. He had zero leadership skills. Um, Again, we know what doesn't work, and that's why we push on having a high bar, both for education and work experience. It seems like if
0: you work away from the family business as well for a period of time, you're gonna learn different perspectives that mm-hmm. otherwise you're not going to have. And exactly. That, that, that seems to be a risk in an organization if you've had the same people a part of the organization for many, many years. Sometimes the opinions or the thought processes tend to all fall in line, and, and if you don't have new ideas being injected, uh, things can get stale.
1: Yes, absolutely, Jared. The other thing is that if you've got a family member that goes to work, again, away from the area, away from the region, and in a business perhaps that's maybe better run than yours or larger than yours or more complex than yours, not unusual that your successor can learn some things and be better at what you do globally when they return. And that's really what you're looking for is how can the successor bring back some value? Because when they show up on your doorstep, there's a price for that you know, there's a cost to bringing them back and you aren't gonna make money appear out of thin air, so if they are gonna return to the family business, how are they they gonna help you grow the business? How are they gonna help you grow the bottom line? How are they gonna pay the freight for their involvement in the
0: business? So, so far you've talked about two areas of uh, rules for entering the business, you've talked about education and you've talked about work experience. Those two seem like pretty typical requirements on any job description or application. Uh, if, yes. if you're an employer, if you're hiring somebody, you're saying you need a certain degree and you need some some experience here.
1: Right, so think of if you will, you know, step away from the idea this is a family business and go out into the working world and compete for a job, well you're going to walk in with a resume and the two things that are on every resume are how much education you have and tell me about your work experience. Mhm. The other thing, Jared, that's it's a little bit harder to wrap your mind around because um, it's a little, little gray and vague for some people is, you know, what kind of a work ethic are you looking for? And what kind of competency should this successor group illustrate? And so things like, you know, being willing to uh, be trainable, if you will, being open, having a mentor. Um, being able to walk through an onboarding process such that you might have to work in various departments or areas of the business, get Mm -hmm. exposed to the full gamut of things that you do. And again, these are pretty customized approaches we use depending on the industry and, and, and the family specifically. But if you're going to be grooming this person not just to be an employee, you don't want them just to be an employee, you're trying to have an experience where they're going to come back, be an employee for a period of time, eventually manage other people, ultimately be owners and maybe someday replace the CEO well again, that's a pretty steep hill to climb if you skip the first few rungs yep, yep,
0: absolutely so so we're still talking about some of the basic um, attributes to be an employee of the mm-hmm. organization uh, if you're if you're trying to round out the the, the attributes to being an employee of the organization, what else comes to mind, Al? We talked about, so far, education. Uh, we talked about some of the competencies,
1: experience. What else? Yeah, I think it's important that the successors know not only what it takes to get into the family business, but what could put them at risk of, of being voted off the island or booted out, and those are what we call deal breakers. And in some of the businesses we work with, um, you know, we try to create a list of what might be a criteria that would disqualify you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a project years ago where it was the first thing the family said was convicted of a felony, and I thought, well, there has to be a story behind that. And of course, they did share with me that absolutely they they had a nephew who was at first, you know, in school, getting his education, pretending like he was inbound to the family business. But was challenged by his financial condition and decided that the best thing he could do to create a lot of money in a very big hurry was to start selling drugs. Well, obviously, he got caught. He ended up in prison. And what the CEO told me was that that was a deal breaker. He was convicted of a felony. He would never be eligible to be part of the family business if he couldn't make better life decisions than that other things we see is where you know there's some sort of financial discrepancy you know and maybe embezzling from an organization Um, I've had instances of abuse and by that I mean you know interpersonal abuse sexual abuse those types of things Um, In some of the ag sectors we work it's animal abuse Mm -hmm. you know should there ever be Anyone abusing an animal that could get you voted off the island. That's just not something that's that's tolerated yep. in our organization. So again, deal breakers is something the family should talk about.
0: So you have the you have the uh, the child back working in the business. They have some some uh, higher education. They have some some uh, you know outside work experience. They've been back to the organization. They've been doing a good job. What makes them all of a sudden eligible for ownership, Al?
1: What's the difference between employee and ownership? Sure. Great question, Jared. And think of this as kind of like climbing a mountain. You know, that we got a base camp was what we talked about originally, but we're working our way up the summit. And you're trying to get this successor experience that's going to make them one day someone you'd want as a business partner, as an owner. Well, you want to see, again, are they a good employee first? the second thing is, can they manage other people? Can they lead projects? Can they you know, take on a challenge and gather people around them and inspire them to, to follow you know, some sort of criteria to accomplish a goal? But ultimately, um, you do wanna get this successor position for ownership. But you wanna tell them at the front end, well, how long would that take? And not that you can not adjust this as you go, but I like to see it where the family says to someone, here's the criteria to become an employee. We want you to come back and achieve all these metrics so that we know you're the kind of employee we want on our team, and you must be a successful employee, have positive performance reviews, have a written professional development plan, meet all the ongoing expectations as an employee for a minimum of, and then you fill in the blank, of five years, seven years, or whatever. There's a period of time of being a superstar employee before you're eligible for an equity stake in the business.
0: What I've seen personally, Al, from organizations that follow a process like this, if they have other employees who aren't family members. By demonstrating that the successor of the organization, or the child, is, is going to play by the same rules to everybody mm-hmm. else. They're going to come back, they're going to start at the bottom, they're going to work their way up, they earn the respect of the team members in the organization versus running right to the, the C-suite right corner office because that just creates uh, I can can create a a really unhealthy culture and uh, you know all of a sudden the employees start talking and it just creates a dynamic sometimes that isn't preferred in
1: an organization. Well and again as we talked about earlier if you're the family member coming back the bar is higher. Yep, It's the boss's kid of course he or she is going to be given a pass. Well no, you have to come back and prove that you're willing to work harder, do the right things, get more education, have more work experience than anybody else yep. um, to earn the respect of those on the team. It's critically important.
0: Absolutely. And uh, following up on that, you know, some of the clients that I've seen you work with over the years, the, the ones that make the successors sweat. Mm-hmm. and put them through the ringer, per se. Right. Uh, it sets them up better for ownership and, and leadership down the road. If, if they've never had failures in their life, the successor, if they've never bumped their head before, if it's always mm-hmm. been Easy Street, what are they going to do if they're leading an organization and then all of a sudden 2020 hits or a pandemic or, or the markets crash?
1: Yes, and we sometimes see, Jared, where like the G1 or the CEO of a business is reluctant to delegate authority to a successor. And the questions I always enjoy asking them is, you know, all the years that you have been in business, have you ever made a mistake? And if they're honest, they all kind of smile and they even have some mistakes come to mind. My second question is, well, when you made those mistakes, did you learn anything from your mistake? Mm -hmm. Was there a lesson? Well, of course there was. And I remember it, it made me better. And then my closing question is, why would you want to deny your successor of that opportunity? Why would you not want to give them room to bump their head? Not to take the business down, but maybe to make a mistake that they could learn from. Because eventually, the challenge for successors, Jared, is, and this may seem unfair, but as my dad was better in business than my grandpa, and I like to think I was better in business than my dad, there is this pyramid that as time goes by, each generation has to get better, smarter, faster to remain competitive. So as you indicate, to put some pressure on the next generation is kind of mandatory if you're serious about maintaining the legacy of the family business.
0: And, and if you're that senior generation, why not put a little pressure on your successor when you're around Yes, there to help out versus well, waiting until you're not?
1: Yes, absolutely, and it's important. You know, one of the things we haven't talked about is, is the step of knowledge transfer. Mm-hmm. That if, if grandpa or dad are still around and you've got a successor inbound and they're following the rules for any of the business, this knowledge transfer piece where they have a challenge or they're up against something and they can go to the generation before them and have a conversation, a professional conversation about have you ever been faced with this? Have you ever been down this road? Because chances are they have. Mm-hmm. You know, Very likely um, it's something that prior generations have experienced, maybe not exact in all the conditions but they can kind of part some of the fog for successors and help again support them and and make them successful.
0: Yep, more and more operations and businesses are are starting to set up boards here in Mm -hmm. in 2020 as they're realizing that governance is becoming more important. uh, Outside opinions and feedback are getting more important. So if I'm a successor, I've I've worked at the business, was an employee for many years, was uh, eligible for ownership, was allowed ownership in the business past that, when should
1: I be considered eligible to be on the board? Is that something sure. to consider? It depends on, uh, typically, Jared, it depends on the businesses that we're working with. Some of the larger organizations where you've got perhaps multiple nieces and nephews coming back um, and the board is constrained in its size or in its geography, um, everybody can't be on the board all at once and just because you've been there long enough for your performance warrants that you should have a role on the board. Um, Perhaps there isn't space, or perhaps you know the board doesn't want to be a board of 15 people. And so sometimes we'll see where successors, once they're eligible to become a board member, there's a process where they actually campaign for a seat as a director. And that if they do successfully get that seat, they're on for a term, mm-hmm. be it three years, five years, or whatever. But they're on and then they're off again, they step to the side and allow a cousin or another family member to come on to the board. The other thing we've seen is that there is a period of time, if they do come on to the board, that they're really there in an ad hoc position. And by that I mean they've got a seat at the table, they're there to listen to the conversation learn about the culture of the business, but they don't get a vote. Mm-hmm. And again, that's right in the rules for entering, is that if you come back and you become a director or a quasi-director, um, when is it that you actually have a vote and you can influence the direction of the company? So
0: you can almost have a period of time where the successor sits in, partakes in the board meetings, uh, gets, gets to absorb the information and how the, how the conversations flow, but they're not eligible to make any decisions. That could right. be, But that could be a very valuable time to allow the successor to understand the perspective.
1: Well, and the right kind of successor, the one you want, relishes the opportunity. Mm-hmm to get in the board, to understand more about the business, to get educated. Because most of the businesses we work today, uh, the ones that we work with, they're complex, and it's not something you walk in, again, just by having the right last name that you totally understand all the moving parts in the business. So to be able to be part of a board, have a year, maybe two years, where you're really there just to learn, just to understand. The other thing we sometimes see, Jared, is that when successors come in, there are times where the CEO or the G1 member is very, very close to retirement, and the successor coming in is lagging behind by too many years, and there just isn't enough time for that orientation or for them to get expert at the business. So we'll see the the G1 group add or invite outside non-family board members to the board that can be the bridge between the generations. And I've seen that done very successfully where Um, And let's just hypothetically say that, you know, my G1 person is 70 years old, my successor is 35. Well, if you've got that middle person that's 50 or 55 and they know they can be on the board for 10 years or whatever, they offer that insulation for the CEO to say, if you want to step back, know that I'm here, I understand the culture of your business, I understand the finances of your business, I will help onboard the successor.
0: Yep, that's a a very good point. Yeah, not trying to get off subject with that, but it feels like, from my perspective, those organizations that are bringing in outside non-family perspectives to the board and getting that objective viewpoint, they're the ones that can have a more smooth ride, per se. And they're they're also the ones that I see that are increasing their profits the most right now through these tough
1: times. It's kind of fun to watch, Jared. You know, we've got a group of G1s that we work with that, threatened by bringing in non-family board members they feel as if they're going to lose control or that you know what they built is not you know going to be theirs if they bring in outside expertise and quite frankly what we see is almost the opposite where you get the right director in the room you get the right experts surrounding you where you know you kind of have the best and the brightest helping you gain new perspective and become more competitive the numbers prove it out that for those as you indicate that are courageous enough to take the risk to say I want to be challenged on what I'm thinking, or I want to have someone give me a new perspective yep. and create new opportunities for my family, for my business. Those are the ones that typically are are leading the pack, are getting out front. Yep.
0: And if you have the if you have a, a setting like that and a dynamic for the board, then it tells the successor again that you're not just entitled to the board. You gotta you gotta bring something of value if you're going to be here, sitting amongst these other players.
1: Uh, and again, you you. That you got to earn that, right. ultimately. Yeah. The other thing I've seen, Jared, too, is some of these outside non-family board members, if, if you're really selective in how you do a search for them and how you interview for them, is that they really can bring a level of professionalism to running the business. And they've probably had experience in decision-making at a high level. They probably understand the market in a way that you don't. They probably dealt with conflict in the past. Um, They really bring tremendous tremendous value for those that are willing to explore that option.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely Al as we wrap up here the rules for entering the business anything else that we should be we should be touching on
1: I think uh, Jared probably in closing what I would say is that what we've just talked about is probably one of the most critical and foundational steps that we do in succession planning one not to be minimized one not to be overlooked and I hope that every family out there would seriously consider these Absolutely. Well, thanks for your time today. You're welcome.